Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. What is this text that we're about to hear? Well, unlike some biblical epistles, Paul's letter to the Romans or Paul's letter to the Galatians or Paul's letter to the Philippians, today's text was probably not written by Paul, but by one of his followers. And more significantly, it was probably not written to any one particular congregation. It may mention the city of Ephesus, but rather than a personal letter written to address a site-specific situation, scholars agree that Ephesians was likely intended for multiple congregations, kind of like a newsletter from the presbytery offering useful material for a whole assortment of local congregations. So instead of addressing particular people or particular problems, Ephesians offers general guidance for how to live as Christians, individually and communally. And I think this focus on a general audience makes the text all the more accessible for us. This is especially true, I think, of today's passage, which is grounded in profound theology, but takes the very practical form of, essentially, a to-do list. This is Ephesians, beginning with chapter 4, verse 25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but not sinfully so. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil a foothold. Thieves must give up stealing. Instead, let them labor and work honestly with their hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no corrupted words come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as it is needed, so that your words may give grace to those that hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed with a mark for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God like beloved children and live in the way of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, whether you are worshiping online or here in the sanctuary, please raise your hand if you've ever seen the bumper sticker or the t-shirt or the coffee mug that reads, be the person your dog thinks you are. If you're a cat person, raise your hand if you've sometimes seen this as a free pass. 
be the person your dog thinks you are is a cute enough idea. And I bet the world would be a friendlier place if all of us achieved some version of that. <laughs> but it's not remotely in the same league as this passage from the letter to the Ephesians. This text marches through ethical exhortations that range from mildly challenging to mightily challenging before concluding with the jaw-dropping instruction, be imitators of God. In case that didn't take your breath away, listen again. The Bible says, be imitators of God. Maybe it would be helpful to know that imitation was a noted form of pedagogy in the ancient world. Imitatio was a common means by which people were expected to learn. They learned by striving to be like those whom they held up as role models. Still, God is my role model sounds every bit as absurd as the colossally hubristic God is my co-pilot, and I promise that's my last bumper sticker reference. It's a staggering idea. Be imitators of God. Most especially this has to do with loving and forgiving others as we have been loved and forgiven by God. That in itself is a tall order. But isn't it interesting that this outlandish idea is built into a bunch of practical directives? It's as if the author is setting things up to say, don't get so blown away by how far from the mark you will be. Here are some specific practical things you can do on your way toward being imitators of God. So let's look at this list of practical, actionable, doable things. First of all, we are to speak the truth to our neighbors because we are members of one another. What a beautiful idea. But as I read it, I struggle to take in the entirety of that beautiful idea because I have to stop after the first three words, speak the truth. In the past quarter century, and especially in the past five years, I've come to fear for the truth. You may remember feeling outrage in 1998 when an American president unrepentantly sidestepped the truth by trying to parse the word is. But that outrage seems quaint now that we've witnessed an American president unprecedentedly disregard the truth about everything from crowd size to election results. From Monica Lewinsky to the big lie, I've come to fear for the truth. So I am grateful for this directive. Putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors because we are members of one another. It's a beautiful idea and a practical way of imitating the God who self-identified as the way and the truth, and the life. Immediately after urging truth, this list offers be angry, but not sinfully so. I confess I didn't know the phrase be angry was in the Bible. 
Yet I do not doubt that there is lots that angers God. The main point, though, is not the anger itself, but how we handle it. Yes, when we witness that which angers God, injustice, hunger, abuse, when we witness what we know angers God, we should be angry. Feel it, but don't indulge it. Deal with it, resolve it, move forward. Next on our list is the unexpected note that instead of stealing for our own benefit, we are to work hard so that we can share with others. The various sorts of stealing are not the focus here. No, the focus is the alternative to theft, honest work. And no matter where you are in your work life, it's worth noting that work is lauded, but not so that we can claim a fancy title or buy a fancy car. No, the point of work is so that you have enough to share with others, with those who don't have enough. Sharing with those in need is featured among the practical do's and don'ts for all of us who are called to be imitators of God. Also featured are the words we choose. In addition to speaking the truth, we are to speak only words that are useful for building up. Speech is one of God's favorite tools. God speaks creation into being. And Jesus Christ is God's word made flesh. So it isn't surprising that how we use our words matters to God. So. Speak the truth, be angry, but don't hold a grudge. Work so you can share with those in need, and don't talk trash. Then our list offers two distinct summary statements. The first is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. Stop for a moment and think about that as a practical measure of how to live your life. What would happen if we regularly paused to seriously consider, will what I'm about to do grieve the Holy Spirit? I can think of more than one thing that I would need to reconsider. And notice how that question can cover all of the preceding instructions. Lying grieves the Holy Spirit, so speak truth. Bearing grudges grieves the Holy Spirit, so don't let the sun go down on your anger. Stealing grieves the Holy Spirit, so engage in honest labor and do so in order to help those in need because the plight of the needy also grieves the Holy Spirit. And, does, and use language that builds up others. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's a catch-all litmus test for our life. And then the subsequent summary statement is as practical as it gets. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. I'll confess. There are days when I am so stewed in frustration or despair or fatigue that were I to succeed in putting away all of that, I wonder what there would be left for me. 
And the answer is immediately provided. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And just like that, as we approach our jaw-dropping final to-do item, all of this practicality is revealed as being rooted in theology. In Christ, we are forgiven by God. And we already know that we're supposed to pass along that forgiveness. I mean, we routinely pray, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. All these do and don't instructions are part of our response to God's grace. We are not to be nice as a matter of seeing ourselves in the eyes of our pets. We are striving for the standard of the Holy Spirit as a matter of seeing ourselves in the eyes of our Creator. Therefore, be imitators of God like beloved children and live in the way of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Whenever I talk with folks here about Covenant Presbyterian Church, I often will hear words of love, words like family, acceptance, warmth, welcome, caring. Your love for one another is openly spoken of, and more importantly, readily enacted. I think of Brent Adams, Will Simpson, Robert Taylor, and others who've spent the first part of their Sunday morning stationed outside the chapel doors ready to wrangle a wheelchair or even offer valet parking to anyone seriously inconvenienced by our soon-to-be-repaired elevator. I hear from Bill Elsie about the delicious meals you've brought him since Nancy's death and how your visits are also sustaining him. I smile at how Chan Roberts calls every member on their birthday. I see you give each other rides, help each other out, hold one another in prayer. Just some of the ways that you help one another and you also reach out beyond these walls. Those are some of the ways you live the way of love. And church, in this world that has been enduring such severe coarsening of our shared life, let's celebrate this text that celebrates the practical ways we are to love one another. And let's also take seriously the opportunity to reframe our kindly impulses as being part of how we are imitators of God. Because if we are actively cognizant of that lofty calling, if we recognize our tendency to love as being an expression of our faith, as being part of how we respond to God's grace, I think we end up making ourselves more fully available for God to deploy in this world that God so loves, for God to use in the bringing in of God's reign of justice and mercy peace and joy. We can offer ourselves, our truth and our anger, our labor and our language, our desire never to grieve the Holy Spirit, 
and our efforts to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. We can offer all of that for God to deploy across this whole world that God so loves. This God whom we are called to imitate, that notion still takes my breath away. This God is way more than nice. This God engages in sacrificial love, in risky truth-telling, in righteous anger, in boundaryless generosity, in world-altering speech, in life-transforming forgiveness. Church, take your loving natures and build upon them so that you can imitate that. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.